Hello and welcome to the Golf Shake podcast. My name is Kieran Clark, and now that we're into March, we're ready for the imminent arrival of the golf season. But as Storm Gareth has shown this past week, there has been a late burst of wintry conditions hanging over the British Isles. However, a bit of wind, sleet, and rain won't stop the keenest of golfers. And there are few more befitting that title than Golf Shake Ambassador Matt Holbrook, who joins me on this episode of the podcast. Welcome back, Matt. How are you today? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good to be back again. Um, this is getting a bit to be a bit of a uh, bit of a regular thing now. This you and me. It 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 is it is. You know, obviously that's a sign of your your talent, your dedication, the the qualities that you bring to the podcast and nothing to do with the fact that I can't find anyone else to come on. But um, so, so but as I say, it's a, there has been a bit of a burst of wintry conditions recently. There's been a, some very windy of late across the, the UK and Ireland and much of Europe as well, as we'll get into in this podcast. And it's a very windy day here today in St Andrews, but very sunny. So there's a bit of a golf for those who want to go out for a challenge. But uh, as I say, we're getting towards the, the season now, obviously in mid-March and uh, the Masters is only a few weeks away and that really obviously begins the, the beginning of the British golf season where the clocks change and the, the weather hopefully improves more consistently and people get out there and start playing but of course Matt that does not hold you back you're always out there playing and uh, last week we're going to talk about this on this podcast uh, this week specifically as you organized and embarked on a golf break with a bunch of misfits to France and when you were there, you played several courses, including last year's Ryder Cup venue, Le Golf National, which is, of course, a very accessible destination for UK golfers, easily reached through the Channel Tunnel. But perhaps not too many of us have really considered it as being a golf destination. But clearly, it is certainly one to consider. And Matt is going to explain why on this podcast. And Matt, you know, I know the conditions weren't exactly ideal and we will get to that later as that will frame a very big part of this podcast but I wanted to know a little bit more about your trip so I see you went to the Golf National but there's also some other courses there too so where did you play how did you get there get get there and what were your impressions from your weekend away okay so I suppose the best place to start would be how we got there so I mean there was there was 13 of us that went down to the Golf National in total um, one thing I've always done um, when I've booked these trips in the past because this is my sixth I think I've done now in seven years um, in the past what I've tended to do is just kind of I, I will put on this is the golf that I'm offering so it's a uh, you know two rounds bed and breakfast and then it's up to individuals pairs group groups of three or four however people are kind of coming um to sort of organize their own travel arrangements so myself I went down in the car with one other we we went on the um the euro tunnel and the, uh, took the car over and drove ourselves other people decided to get the uh, get the train across straight into Paris. Um, I think the option of driving myself, it just gives you a bit more freedom when you get over there. It is easily accessible. I mean, door-to-door for me, getting to Le Golf National, for example, I think it's about five and a half, six hours. Mm. Uh, it didn't, unfortunately, didn't didn't take, wasn't quite as quick coming back on the Sunday evening. Heard. But um, yeah, I think a few people, I mean, I, I was one of the lucky ones getting back around four or five hours after what I thought I was going to, but um, you know, it's, it's it's a nice drive down. It's nice to take in um, other, other, you know, other countries. And, you know, some people would have gone into Paris and looked at the culture and 
but what we decided to do is we stopped on the way down on Friday. So we got up early and we got on the train Friday. Um, four of us went and played at a place called Hardalow. They've got two courses there, Le Pins and Le Junes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played, let me get this right, we played Le Junes, which had just been reopened uh, following quite an extensive period of course maintenance through the winter. Um, I mean, it was there, there was there was sand on the course, uh, but it was in absolute fantastic condition. Um, it was, you know, tree lines, rolling fairways, bunkers in the right places. I mean, from a from a visual standpoint, it's it's got to be right up there. And I, I like the the tree line courses, places like Woburn, Centurion. Uh, now I can add Hardlow onto the list. Um, and from what I could see of Le Pins, which is the other course there, it looked just as nice as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was four other people that had gone and played um, Belle June, I think it was, which looked equally as fantastic. You've also got uh, Le Torquay, which is just, um, you know, a, a, another 10, 15 minutes south of where we were in Hardlow, I believe. So as you come over, I mean, you, you're talking half an hour, 40 minutes from... Where the uh, where the train kicks you off in uh, in Calais, you've got this plethora of really nice golf courses that you can you can go and visit and and play, um, and then from there we we headed down to and um, we actually stayed in a place I'm not going to pronounce this right but it, I believe it's pronounced <laughs> Rouen, um, which was another hour and a half hour and forty minutes in the car, which meant we had an hour to drive on Saturday morning down to the Golf National, uh, which just breaks up the journey as well. Uh, so Le Golf National itself is an absolutely fantastic venue. Uh, so you've got the two courses there. You've got uh, the Eagle course or Le Eagle mm-hmm. and the Albatross, which is obviously what, what we know as the Ryder Cup course. The the Eagle course felt a little bit more forgiving, a little bit more wide off the tee. Um, not a lot of water on that course, um, but it's a really good test of golf. The, as as a piece of land, the Golf National was fairly open to the elements. So as soon as you do get any kind of wind kicking up, you, you, you're gonna you're gonna be in for a bit of a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also for anyone that does go there, I think. Let me just think: one, two, three, four, five, six. I think the sixth or seventh hole. Um, there's a couple of bits of rope down the left hand side, which I thought signals out of bounds. That's an electric fence. <laughs> do not. <laughs> So okay. I pulled I pulled my tee shot slightly, um, and it was in bounds, but I probably had less than a foot between the ball and the and the fence. So I thought to myself, I'll just move the ball out slightly, um, give myself a stance. But I didn't realise I just thought it was two pieces of string. So I thought I'll just back into this string so I can get a get um get get a good good swing on the on the ball. And as I did that, yeah, it sent sent a little shock waves up my leg and. <laughs> pins and needles in my feet for a good five minutes. So. Astonishing. Well, yeah. well, put it this way, is there actually a good reason for having this here? Did they explain why there was an electric fence in that hole? No, I mean, it runs around It runs around the out, the outside of four or five of the holes, which I you know, didn't even notice it until obviously I put my ball over there. Um, and it wasn't until about three holes later that I realised there was a sign that said, um, words to the extent in French that don't touch this fence. Um, wow. Lee Electricity, <laughs> something along <laughs> those lines. <laughs> Lee Electric, that's probably what yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, <laughs> I think that's what it was. Um, look, the, the condition of the course was absolutely superb on the Eagle course. Uh, the greens were the, the greens were of a fair pace. 
and they were very difficult to read and put on. And I know some people did struggle. And then the wind decided to just pick up in the afternoon a little bit as well. So that did make it quite challenging. A few, you know, coming in the stretch, a few holes into the wind, um, you know, really took it out of you. Mm. Um, then as a venue, you've got, obviously, you've got loads of uh, Ryder Cup. Um, I want to say memorabilia. It's not, you know, it's not really memorabilia, but, you know, what I mean, like the, the big USA Europe signs and they've still got the, um, a cup, one of the, uh, buggies that the captains would have used to drive mm-hmm. around the USA and the Europe one parked up outside. There's, um, you know, pictures as you walk down the bar, the team rooms are, are still there. Um, and it's, uh, you know, as, as a Ryder Cup venue goes, it's, it's no different to, to any of the others that we've, that we've now, that we've now been to in, in the sense that, you know, it's a really good experience to go and take that, take that in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Albatross course on, on Sunday, which obviously for us was the main event. I mean, you stand on the first tee and you see the tee shot that you would have seen on the TV over and over and over again over those three days yeah. uh, last year. Um, you know, it's just it's just a great it's a great course. There's there's water. It feels like there's water absolutely everywhere. Um, unfortunately for us, the winds. We we looked at the forecast. We knew that we was going to get winds. The the forecast had gusts up to forty five fifty mile an hour. Um, there was no gusts. It was just a constant 45, 50 mile an hour wind. Um, you know, for some people, I think it did kind of put a bit of a dampener on the experience. Mm-hmm. Others that we, you know, you, you stuck it out because it is such a great golf course to play. Um, we had a few examples of balls kind of rolling on greens. Um, but in that scenario, I think you just have to kind of, you know, take it for what it is. It is windy. It's going to be tough. You forget about your score. Um, and you just enjoy playing the holes that are downwind. Um, <laughs> you know, I think we went from we went from a 160 yard par three where we hit drivers and come up short to a 410 yard par four where I hit a driver and then flicked a lob wedge. Um, you know, so it was it was it was crazy. It was it was absolutely crazy, but it didn't take away from the experience. And those closing four holes mm-hmm. um they're they're the ones that you you see that are, you know the island greens and um the par three where phil mickelson dunked it in the water the 16th um you know you you go and play those holes you go and play a course like that in those holes because because it's what you've seen you know heroes doing the tv and you've you've seen um you know so much drama on those holes and it's just you know it's it's another one that we've ticked off the list now um so yeah, so all all in all, it was a it was a great trip. I'd recommend it to anybody. It's not that far away. It's not that expensive. Um, you know, I think there's this um, kind of like a some some people believe that these venues are, are just crazy crazy money, but they're not. They're actually really mm-hmm. affordable when you break it down. Um, the hotel on site's fantastic. Some people woke up to to, to views of the of the sixteenth hole, the the eighteenth, and the I think it's the 15th mm-hmm. yeah. um and yeah so you know it ticks every single box every single box i didn't hear one person say you know there's not nobody that could say anything bad about the course the venue um it's just as i say just a shame that the weather did to us what it did but what can you do well well that, that is true and uh, you, you have had weather on previous uh trips that you've been on i think there was a uh... 
when you were at Glen Eagle several years ago, there was some snow at one point as well. So just kind of the, the time of year and whatnot. But um, yeah, and for anyone who isn't quite aware, listening to the podcast today, that um, you know Matt and his uh, his crew, his cronies, have been to more or less every stay and play Ryder Cup venue that you can really go to. Certainly in the UK and Ireland, you know they've been to Celtic Manor, the Belfry, Glen Eagles, the K Club, and now of course the Golf National. So you've had the chance to experience all of these venues that have been become so iconic over the last 25 years or so they'll have you know more more than one course they'll have great accommodation on site and they're all you know very very, you know they're all great venues to go and visit Uh, so looking at the golf national just kind of to put that into that conversation um i think most people particularly going into the Ryder cup last year would have said that of all those venues the golf national is the best golf course of the bunch. It's a better golf course than the Brabazon, the Belfry, or the 2010 course at the Celtic Manor and so on. It's a better golf course than those we see every year at the Open de France as well. And obviously it's a very, you know, as you say, a big, wide property, you know, very, very challenging golf course and even the most benign conditions, you know, an awful lot of water there, particularly on that closing stretch of holes, but even on the front line as well, there's some really challenging holes there. It's a it's a golf course that does really test the best players. So looking at the, the golf course itself, and I know obviously the conditions that you've played in uh, perhaps don't give you the, the best read of the, how good a golf course is or how much you enjoyed it but you know comparing it as as well as you can where would the Le Golf National as a golf course compare with those other venues that you've been to in recent years I think the I think if if you're looking at just the course and just the Ryder Cup course um I I think the the, the Albatross at, at, at Le Golf National which is probably the best course mm-hmm. Um, the greens, the greens were absolutely fantastic. They were like putting on glass. Um, they they were quite easily probably the best greens I think I've ever played on or putted on. And I know there's people out there that will say, um, you know, well, you obviously haven't played here, you obviously haven't played there. Well, <laughs> you know, you get used um, to that, they, that on golf shake. I can tell you that. <laughs> I, I know. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, I I'm a big fan of the Brabazon. I, I really like the Brabazon as, as a golf course. And again, I know that that gets mixed reviews from certain people. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's definitely, I'm just kind of going through a process of elimination in my head. I think the, the Palmer course at, at K Club is maybe in amongst the top three. I would definitely put the PGA at Glen Eagles and the 2010 at Celtic Manor out of the five that I've done are probably position four or five that doesn't mean that they're bad golf courses it's just a you know it's a preference for me I would probably go the Albatross at Le Golf National then I'd probably go to Brabazon at Belfry then the Palmer at the K Club then maybe the PGA at Glen Eagles followed by the 2010 at Celtic Manor mm-hmm. that would be my order yeah um, but as I say they're all they're all fantastic golf courses they all offer something different and I know there's been um, quite a few articles and, and emails that we've had coming round about, you know, golf course venues and, and Ryder Cup venues and stuff. And looking at different categories, there's always going to be something where that order is going to get flipped on its head for different for different aspects mm-hmm. of of the experience. Um, the, the actual experience at, at the 2010 when in the clubhouse, for example, is probably the best there is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going through the the, the change rooms and getting to share a locker with with one of one of the players you know that's that's a great addition to their um to their experience so 
you know, it's different people look for different things, but in short, the Albatross was, was the best of the Ryder Cup courses for me. Yeah, I, I think that's probably a, a, probably the assessment that most people would have uh, when comparing those courses. But as you say, when you delve into each of the venues, as I say, they all have multiple golf courses and all have other qualities. And I think from previous discussions with you, I think what uh, looking at Glen Eagles just quickly, I think that one stands very highly in your mind because of the the King King's course there, which is obviously yeah, definitely yeah. If you said if you said to me right. Golf Shake are going to send you to a Ryder Cup venue next week. Where do you want to go? I, I would pick Glen Eagles. Yeah. That that would be the one that I would keep going backwards. Um, you know, I'd keep going back to over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just stunning up there. It it is. You know, it's, it's, it's obviously a an incredible hotel and a great you know stunning location. And then you have you know the PJ Centenary is obviously the course that has the, the Ryder Cup notoriety. But I don't think anybody would say that it's the best course at. Glen Eagles, um, I think the King's course is, is arguably the best inland course in Scotland. It's certainly in the top top bracket of that. And the uh, adjacent Queen's course is one that is, you know, the, the expression hidden gem is very much overused, but that's one that does befit that because it's one of the most beautiful golf courses I've ever seen, um, certainly in terms of the, the scenery and kind of the tran- tranquility that you get there when you play it. So, again, all these venues are fantastic and then uh, I kind of recommend to everybody that we have previous editions of the podcast where we actually delved into each of the venues in more detail. And also we have all the stay and play features and all sorts of things that on the website that really do cover all these venues and trying to pick one uh, to go on a, a break. And, uh, you know, Matt, just quickly, um, obviously you've done these for, as you say, for about seven years now, uh, one year you had off, but how, just quickly, how did this actually start? You know, putting together these trips, trying to organize this kind of, rabble of people together and uh you know how did that all kick off back in the day do you know it all kicked off back in it would have been the back end of 2012 and i'd put a tweet out to a few people saying i'm thinking about organizing a trip to celtic manor for my birthday um who would be up for it and it just kind of escalated on from there and i'll be honest over the years um i don't know if this is a reflection on me but the numbers have have kind of dropped down slightly um I think I took 23 people to, to Celtic Manor that year. Um, the year after, we went to Prince's, mm-hmm. which obviously isn't a Ryder Cup venue, but a great one of the one of the UK's great stay and play venues down at, um, in Kent. Yeah. Um, so we did the Prince's, then we did the Belfry in 2015, K Club, no, Glen Eagles 2016, K Club 2017. Had a break, had to give myself a year off last year, and now done Le Golf National uh, 2019. And if there's anybody listening from like the Spanish Tourist Pool, <laughs> from Valderrama Golf Club, um, obviously of the of the modern Ryder Cup courses, Valderrama is the only one that's left to tick off the list. So um, if anyone's listening from Valderrama, just just hit me up on Twitter at Matt Holbrook 86. Um, I've got a few people that might be keen to come and see you next March, April time. <laughs> well, that would be tremendous. Um, yeah, <laughs> that would obviously yeah, complete look, the set. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and from from an organisational standpoint, I've always been um, very much. Uh, I will organise the golf and the accommodation and the and the breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, the first couple of years, I did use a local based company to me because I knew the guys. But the, since then, I've I've been going through golf breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, they make it easy with, um, you know, deposits and payment systems and the way that the website is set out when you book a, book a break with them is, is easy to use. 
Um, and then, like I say, you know, if people want to go off and go to this place for dinner or do that for dinner, they can. Um, you know, I don't, I don't like to be a, the, the only time I'm really a, a bit of a, bit of a sergeant major with it is when it comes to collecting money off people, you know, it's, here's, here's your deadline. This is when you pay. If you don't pay by then, you don't come on the trip. It's as simple as that. Mm. Um, I don't want to be running around chasing people constantly. Um, and then as far as, as far as my job's concerned, that's, that's it. You know, it's, it's easy, it's easy to do. Um, you know, then you just throw people's names in together and a rooming list and a, and some tea times and, and you're good to go. You know, I've always done, always done some prizes as well. Um, a good friend of the podcast, Mr. Pickens, mm-hmm. uh, little shout out to, uh, to Andrew for, for winning the wooden spoon this year, oh, <laughs> um, sporting a lovely new head cover. Um, so yeah, so the, the organisation is easy. Um, you know, that's how it come about from a like, like a, a throwaway tweet, mm-hmm. thinking I'm, you know, I'm thinking of doing it. Do you want to go in it? It just kind of escalated from there, really. Yeah, it, it just shows you the power of social media. Yeah, it's, uh, there we it's go. Fantastic. And uh, again, for anybody listening to this, you know, if you have any questions about you know, trying to do something emulating uh, Matt Holbrook and trying to organise this, and obviously you can go and try and find him on Twitter and ask him about it. I'm sure you'll be very happy to to respond. And uh, and again, it's. Again, I think it's a fantastic way of bringing people together, and I think you've ticked off some great venues for you know very affordable deals. And uh, I think it's clearly it's a way to go. And as you touched on there, there are some great deals out there. And also for this year, if anyone listening to this, we'd obviously recommend that if you have a a group or a league or society, you can manage that online with Golf Shake and keep your scores tracked for the whole entire group and. Uh, have a little internal leaderboard and stuff like this and really add to the, the sense of occasion throughout the year. But certainly for a trip, uh, for a stay and play break, I mean, it's pretty hard to beat a Ryder Cup venue and all of them, as you touched on, they all have you know multiple courses and great accommodation and all, all sorts of attractions. So, yeah, I think it's they should have been on anyone's list. All of them, they all deliver a great experience. But I think... Stepping away from that now, Matt. I think as a Kieran, yeah. sorry, I just I just want to jump in. But before, just before we step away, yeah. um, there was one one thing you mentioned there about the uh, about the affordability, mm-hmm. and it was something else I just really quickly wanted to touch sure. on. Sure. Um, and of all these venues that I've been to, and, and all the fantastic golf courses that I've played, for um, two rounds of golf, bed and breakfast, the most that we've paid, I think, was two hundred and fifty pounds. Well, there you go. Yeah. So everything that we've done has been two hundred and fifty pounds or less, and I think only two of them have been over two hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show, you know, it's not you're talking for some people, I don't know, four five boxes of golf balls. Mm, you know, yeah. When exactly. you when you break it down, look at that. So they are they are affordable venues to go and visit as well. But um, yeah, just wanted to throw that in. So carry on. Well, thank you. That's good. <laughs> welcome <laughs> no no that's, it's a very good point to make and it's, it's spot on there i think certainly certainly when you, when you go and not quite the the peak time of year you can really pick out some great offers and uh, take advantage of that and again as you touched on there even though we're still in march you know the condition of these courses has, has consistently been very good too so and certainly at the golf national that was clearly the case but i think as we kind of intimated there, and we're going to delve into a little bit more detail now, when you were at the Golf National, the Albatross course on Sunday, it was extremely windy. And of course, you captured that experience uh, on video and put it on Twitter, and it kind of went off a little bit. I think for golf, it probably was approaching viral. You now had, I think it's 40,000 views approximately on Twitter, and it sparked a widespread discussion. We had a 
article on the Golf Shake website. We had it on Facebook. We had it on all sorts of places in the newsletter. Uh, you know, For a social media expert like yourself, it won't be a big deal. But how does it feel to go viral on social media? <laughs> well, I know I know we had a chat before we come on a podcast about what is viral, what isn't viral. Um I've got uh I've got young children at home, I asked them, look, you know, boys, what what what's viral in Oh, you need a million views. <laughs> um but you know, I think thirty nine thousand four hundred views at the moment. Um it's forty thousand forty thousand, yeah. We'll we'll round that up to forty thousand. Um it's it just it just went crazy, you know. I I just I, I didn't even I didn't even think oh, I'll post this to to see if it gets loads of views. You know, it was it was just a great little short seven second clip of the second hole, and the way the the waves were. I say waves; it's not the sea. It was it is a lake. <laughs> um, you know, the way it was crashing on, on up onto the uh, up onto the green, and you know, it was just incredible. And I think the, the the wind that you could hear in the video, um, you know, it was just incredible. And I thought I just I just throw this out there so um, you know so so people can see. What what I was worried about, right, is for for those that do follow me on social media, they know that I'll put my score into Golf Shake and then I'll tweet a link to the score. And I was worried that people would see that I shot in the 90s and thought, oh, he's had an absolute mare. I thought, no, what I'll do is I'll post this video first so that people can see the conditions that we played in to kind of save my own back to start with. Um, and yeah, just, you know, I was we got delayed at the... Um, at the Channel Tunnel coming back, um, and I was kind of spent a bit of time with me phone in my hands, just just watching it. And you know, I was getting loads of questions coming in. It's three hundred and fifty-one likes, um, and it was just going, it was just going crazy. And every twenty minutes, I was looking at my phone and seeing it had gone up another thousand views and mm. another thousand views. And um, yeah, um, whether that's viral or not, I don't, I don't know, but. Um, it was good fun while it was happening. Well, I, I think we can we can consider it viral, but uh, if anyone wants, if you listen, if you say it's viral, it's good enough for well, me. Well, there you are. I, I give it the validation. But um, but yeah, if anyone wants to try and boost the viewership up to or get it closer to a million, which is probably going to be, it'll take a while to achieve that. But go and go and find Matt on Twitter, and you'll be able to boost it up and see the video. Or you can also yeah, I've pinned it. Yep. I've pinned it onto my Twitter profile, so it's the first tweet you'll see when you go onto my profile. And we also have it embedded on the Golf Shake website too, where we invited all of your comments and uh, suggestions of uh, worst conditions that you've played. And just quickly, Matt, and actually you touched on there about the score you shot. I thought the score you shot was very good given the conditions on that golf course. And actually the fact you hit, you hit 95% of the fairways as well. I mean, the ball may have only went 100 yards sometimes, but still that's very impressive accuracy stats. So from your perspective, just quickly, you know, was that, the worst conditions that you've played in? As far as the wind is concerned, yes. I, I've never played in windier conditions. I think for those for those people that are listening to this that may have come to the Belfry with us in 2014, no, 15, um, the first out of the Belfry was absolutely horrible. Um, but that was just cold and raining. Um, you know, this we had blue skies. You know, it was an absolutely glorious day, yeah. other than the wind. So, but yeah, we, without a shadow of a doubt, it's it's the it's the worst wind I'd played in. Um, as I said earlier, we had you know a fair amount of balls rolling off greens and just kind of not sitting still. Um, and actually, we we had one example where um, a friend of mine, Phil, who I was playing with, um, it was a par three. I want to say, uh, I can't remember the whole, maybe 14, 13, 14, something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he'd uh, he'd come up short um, of the green, uh, kind of putted up um, past the hole, and he had this downhill putt, and the greens were so fast. He had this downhill putt, but it was into the wind, and he's hit the putt downhill. It's gone probably a foot past the hole. Then the wind has blown it back up the hill into the hole for a free. Oh, come on. It was probably one of oh. the best pars you'll oh, one of the best pars you'll see. Um yeah, so it was um it was you know, as as I walk away, it, all it's done really is it's made me wanna wanna go back and play in maybe some easier conditions. So yeah. um, you know, didn't didn't take away from the experience. It was it was absolutely fantastic. Um yeah, just uh, just very very difficult. No, well, absolutely. I think it's difficult, even in the best of days. Never mind when the wind's blowing, you know, forty fifty miles an hour. But um, what was fascinating about this, we, we say we put it out there on social media. We asked people for their their experiences of playing in bad weather, and what was great about it was was the amount of people who were actually playing that same weekend. And it shows you how dedicated people are. They go out there in all weathers and play no matter the conditions. And uh, that's how kind of dedicated the the audience is. So we put it out there to the golf shit community on Twitter and Facebook and ask for your comments of playing in the high winds. And we thank you for all of those comments, uh, even the the daft ones. Uh, but here are just a few of them just to give you a bit of a flavour of what people were saying. So on Twitter, we had very specific dates from Dave Woods, who said that the worst conditions that he'd played in were at Heskiff Golf Club in 35 miles per hour on December 18th and gusting 45 miles per hour at Hoylake on November 17th. So a month there of some pretty windy weather for Dave. And our comment from Colin Meadows, who on the 29th of December, he played the old course at St Andrews. He hit a four iron into the wind on the fourth hole around 90 yards. I've done that. And then drove 275 yards on the ninth with a five iron. So the contrast there from going into the wind and then downwind. He said that's incredible. He said, I mean, that's that is, that is incredible. He said it was totally surreal, but an amazing experience. And Rob Mason uh, at Prestaton had another similar story too, where he played in what felt like a hurricane. He managed to hit a five iron 270 yards, but coming the other way, he ended up short of the green, hitting a four iron from 140. So that's the amazing contrast and going into the wind and downwind. Um, and actually, in one comment here from Alan Fairweather, which is, of course, just a sensationally good name for this topic. <laughs> Alan Fairweather. Thank you for this, Alan. And he, he actually was very specific. He, he even shared a screen grab of his BBC weather forecast image that shows how windy it was to prove to us when he was playing in our broth in Scotland. And on Facebook, we had Alan Bruce, who was caddying at Western Gales. He told the story of a golfer who, on a 130-yard par three, his golfers uh, that day had to use free woods. Then on our par three, 175 yards downwind, they used sand wedges. So again, the, a free would into 130 yard par free. Uh, more comments from uh, David Lefgow, who said he once played at Bedlington. He hit a driver and wedge to a two, 575 yard par five, followed by a driving freewood to the 325 yard next hole. So the contrast was there too. Uh, Jeff Simmons played at Dunkeld last Saturday, hit a rescue club into the par three, 128 yards. And John Flood played Neffin, and the pro was shocked when they went out. Back-to-back par threes. The first one, 180 with wind. He hit a wedge. Second one, 150 into the wind. And he hit a driver and he was still short. 
So that contrast there too. And a particular thank you to Alex Smith, who shared a video that he took on the first screen of Butte Golf Club a couple of years ago. That did look very brutal, Alex. And that is a golf course that is very dear to me and where many formative rounds were played. So I got a good kick out of seeing that once again. So thank you for everybody for sending in their comments uh, of their experiences of playing in the wind. And my story, Matt, on that would be, and it's what I spoke about, and actually the article I added into the, the Golf Chic website about it, well, I was playing the old course uh, here six years ago. I was playing with my dad, and we are paired with two American guys, and it was unbelievably windy. I mean, it was just blowing right into us on the front nine. You could barely stand up straight. It was just ridiculous. It was so, so difficult, bordering on just unplayable. And kind of a, it really hit a tipping point when we got to the 11th hole, the par three, wonderful hole, uh, one of the great par threes in golf and the, what's commonly known as being the, the shortest par five in Scotland. And it certainly lived up to its moniker that day. And it's the most exposed part of the old course sitting right in front of the Eden Estuary, an elevated tee right into the wind. You, know, you mean, you could barely hear yourself even think. It was extraordinary. And at that time we had... Um, the caddies were the two American guys. And one of the American guys, he asked the caddy, right, what club should I hit? And the caddy looked at him and said, how far do you hit your driver? And the whole measure is around 170 yards from the tee. And the, the guy was so perplexed, but he thought, no way, I'm not hitting a driver into a par three. It's 170 yards. Come on. From an elevated tee, you have to be kidding. So he, he couldn't convince him. He eventually elected for a free wood, stood in the tee, quite a good player, probably a high single-digit handicapper. Hit his free wood quite well, it has to be said. Nice ball flight on it. Looked good, sounded good. It landed 30 yards short of the green. And the guy was utterly shocked. And walking off the green, and I said to him, welcome to Scotland. And that was it. It was uh, That's probably the windiest weather I've ever played in. But actually, on the flip side, the back nine was all downwind. And it was uh, not necessarily easier, because that's awkward in its own way. But it was uh, a good change of pace. So... Again, thank you, everybody. I think, I think you know, when you when you play on wind like that, you you tend to get on a hole where it's downwind, and you think, right, this is actually the hardest part of playing in the wind is just actually when you're about to pull the trigger and 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 make a swing. You know, you you're getting knocked about all over the place, and it's I, I don't think sometimes it's any easier when you're downwind um, than what it is when you're into the wind. You've still got to try and keep yourself stable and keep yourself stood up mm-hmm. as you're as you're standing over the ball. So. Um, you know, as soon as you pick the club up and, and put that in the air, that just feels like it's going to get blown out of your rounds. It's, it's, uh, it's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not easy. Good fun, but not easy. Well, yeah, it is, it is good fun, and uh, I think when you obviously when you when you play around conditions like that, you have to kind of obviously adjust your expectations for the day. But there is that kind of there's a real challenge to it, and it is something completely different, and it does sort of. You, Playing in conditions like that, it tests just different parts of your game, more or less just mentally as well. You have to really, you know, grit your teeth and, and show that determination and scramble around and, and manage your game really well. And uh, I mean, obviously, when you when you're it, it, when when it is that extreme, it can, you can understand why it, it is off putting some people, and it can perhaps you don't get maybe the most accurate read of a golf course when you're when you're when you're playing in that weather, but. I think there is a an enjoyment factor there too, and clearly, you know, the, the golf shake audience agree because you know, so many of them go out there and play in all these conditions. But then, you know, they're playing some great courses too, and when you when you have a chance to play a great golf course, you want to play it no matter the weather. Uh, but some of the windy weather we we had through that, some of the videos we had from people were 
were tremendous, but of course none better than your one at the Golf National, Matt. So just finally, you know, obviously we've touched on it there. You love the Golf National. It was a tremendous experience for you. You love the golf course. But of course you did, you did play it in some pretty iffy weather. So if you can't get to Valderrama, will there be a return trip to, to France anytime soon? Uh, I would love to go back to France. Um, and if I'm being honest, I'd love to do a day trip to Hardalow, mm-hmm. which is the place we played on Friday, and maybe maybe play both of the courses there. Um, so I play the Dunes again, and then also play the Pins, and then just come back in a day. Um, you know, that's probably a, a three and a half three and a half hour journey for me. So that that could potentially be on the cards next year. Um, I feel like I really need to do Valderrama now. Um, <laughs> But I'm being honest, it, it seems to be the most expensive venue of the mm-hmm. lot. Um, there's that. There's there's another particular European tour venue that um, certainly uh, is is one that I really want to go and visit, and that's um, Kranz in Switzerland. Oh yes, yeah. So I'd like to I'd like to maybe look into the possibility of, the, of that. But to be honest, I will now go away. I will enjoy the Masters. I will enjoy my summer of golf. Uh, and I will see maybe sort of October, September, October time when the season dies down, I'll start feeling like I need something to look forward to. Um, and that's when I'll probably start having a serious look at, at next year's break and, and we'll see see where the wind takes us <laughs> next year. Very good. Very good segue there. But uh, yes, I think you're right. And if anyone listening to this, if you feel inspired about taking a golf trip uh, after hearing Matt on his trip to France and some of the other trips that he has done through the years and you'll do do it because it is obviously you know a, a worthwhile experience one that you'll enjoy one that really gives you that bit of inspiration for the year ahead where just going to a place like the golf national or whatever it may be Glen eagles or so on it just yeah it, it gets the, the proverbial juices flowing and kind of gets you up for the the year it gives you that sort of thing to aspire to and that's always important to have in golf uh, especially for the winter and so on something to kind of look forward to when the season comes around and this obviously kicks your season off in in great style so yes i think that's probably about it matt i think we've just about covered all that we really can and we're going to be within the time limit as well which we've been set we are if anyone listening to this we, we, we're, going to, we're going to be finished within 39 minutes isn't that amazing yeah that is amazing given that that was the guidelines that we were given this week <laughs> apparently we've got too much to say when we get together we, we do we do um, well see, i i think it's uh, some people say it's quantity over quality but i think it's actually both it's quantity and quality i think we're certainly we give good value and it's always fun to to be with you on the podcast i hope you've enjoyed it do you have any have a quick message for the the audience before we leave them uh, no, not not a quick message. Thank, thanks for listening again. Make sure you're getting out and you're tracking your game uh, through through Golf Shake. Um, I'm just literally going to leave it. We've got 10 seconds left with, I cannot believe how well you're doing this year in the Fantasy League. <laughs> well, yeah, well, no, early days, early days, we'll see how we do. And again, if you're playing the Fantasy League, you know, I see, keep up, keep, make sure you're still putting in your team every single week. This week we have the Kenyan Open, obviously a, a lesser event, but pay attention to that. All the updates come through from Matt every week and uh, the prizes too. It's good fun to be involved in that. We have a good little core of people playing the European Tour Fantasy League and Golf Shake. And uh, yeah, I'm doing not too bad so far. So I'm, I'm quite, I'm quietly confident. Uh, so wrapping us up now, that is it for this week's episode of the Golf Shake podcast. Once again, thank you to everyone for their comments on the windy conditions. And it's great to see how hardy you all are. 
And as Matt touched on there, if you're braving the conditions or playing this March, do track your scores in the Golf Shake score tracker. Find your next tee time on Golf Shake. But of course, if you want to take that rust off your game ahead of the season, I certainly need to do this. We have just released our Getting Back to Basics tuition series with former European Open winner and regular Golf Shake contributor Andrew Murray. A great series there to get yourself ready for the new season. My name is Kieran Clark, alongside Golf Shake Ambassador Matt Holbrook. We want you to play more and play better. Until next time, 